Thank you, Tim and worship team. Uh, thank you for uh, being flexible today and making everything happen today because of technical difficulties. And did you hear the last few words of Brother Tim's prayer? And Lord, may this place be shaken today, but only by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to begin my message today by talking about uh, what happened this morning. My first communication from the outside today came from a friend who's in the nosebleed section up there. And he said, did you feel the earthquake this morning? I said, nope, I did not. I think I was in the shower when that earthquake supposedly occurred, or that did occur far away from us, but it was felt here. How many of you felt it? Wow, we have some sensitive people here. Well, I did not, and, uh, but there was a 5.1 magnitude earthquake occurred near Star, North Carolina. And you don't know where that is. It's up in the mountains near Virginia. 5.1 magnitude earthquake occurred this morning. So the place was shaken before, and I think that's probably what messed up your screen, Brother Tim, is an earthquake. We're going to claim it was that anyway. Maybe we can get some insurance help off of that. But it made me, I mentioned uh, a few Wednesday nights ago, I mentioned earthquakes. I, I don't know why I have a tendency to study things like earthquakes, but I do. It really shows a part of my mental illness that I am obsessed with things that have nothing to do with my life or my ministry, but I love science and I love physics and I love the study of geography and topography and all things like that. If you lived in California and you're thankful that you don't, right? Do you know how many earthquakes occur in every year in California? Over 10,000. 99% are not even discernible to a human being. But over 1,000 a year occur in California. Uh, there have been some big ones. When I was a little boy, they're the largest ever recorded in recordable history occurred in Anchorage, Alaska in 1964. It was horrific. It was terrible. Many years later, one hit San Francisco. And you're aware of those that have hit in Haiti, Mexico City, etc., etc. And they occur, uh, can occur almost anywhere, but occur primarily in what's called the Ring of Fire, which is a tectonic plate that basically is the Pacific Ocean. So anything that surrounds the Pacific, California, Mexico, Japan, Alaska, anything that surrounds the Pacific is probably in the worst danger of earthquake activity. The worst that's ever occurred before seismographs were ever invented. Now, you say... Does this have anything to do with Scripture? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. But I just get down to a roll and I have to tell you a few things. The largest that ever occurred, they think, occurred between 1811 and even into 1812. December through January, 1811, 1812. There were no seismographs, but because of reports, they were able to discern that was the largest ever in history and it occurred in a place called New Madrid, Missouri. And if you've ever been to Missouri, there's what's called the Boot Hill. 
There's a little section on the right-hand side that comes down close to Kentucky and Tennessee. And in 1811, earthquakes began to occur, and they went for days and days and days into 1812. Church bells rang and shook in Chicago and Boston because of what happened in the New Madrid quake. It was so intense, by the way, that the Mississippi River, the upheaval of the land, caused the Mississippi to run backwards for hours. Now that is a powerful earthquake. Oh, by the way, the New Madrid is way overdue to hit again. And I don't want to live anywhere near that place. What causes an earthquake? Well, supposedly underneath the crust there are tectonic plates, massive shifting places of rock, and they force and cause tension. And when an earthquake occurs, that tension is released. The San Andreas Fault you're familiar with in California, the New Madrid Fault. There's a small fault line that runs up through Augusta, Georgia into South Carolina, all the way up here, by the way. It's a small, minor, not often active, but on occasion active fault line. Why do I mention all this silliness? Not just because it happened this morning, but sometimes earthquakes occur in our lives, don't they? Something happens. It might be a minor earthquake. It might be a major But what happens when an earthquake happens in Mexico City? And by the way, I've been in two in my life. One was in Mexico City, I don't remember when, and the other was in Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, that frightened a few people. But what happens is it reveals strength and it reveals weakness. It reveals strength. And there are buildings that people thought, well, how did that building stay up? Everything else fell down. And look at that building. It's okay. Because it was built correctly. It was built on a solid foundation. It was built flexibly. It, it, so there's, it reveals strengths, but it also reveals weaknesses. Places that, oh my goodness, it's obvious there was a problem there. Well, in our own lives, earthquakes come and they reveal strength. We didn't know we were as strong as we were. And sometimes it reveals weaknesses. And we see that we were weaker than we thought in a certain area. And earthquakes tremble in our lives in many ways in spiritual warfare and cause a recognition of both strength and weakness. Well, how could we ever get to the place where those strengths could be, those weaknesses could be made strengths? Is it possible for us to change in our lives enough that when the next big earthquake occurs, and it will in our lives, How could we make sure that we're strong? The scripture we're going to study today, I'm going to tell you up front, is one of the deepest and most powerful you'll ever read. And if you read it and understand it correctly, you will go from this place a much more strong and wealthy in the right way person. As I mentioned last week, Someone sent me an article. It said, uh, University of North Carolina says the book of John is a fanciful mystery, uh, 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 mythology. Well, anybody that's a believer who reads this text says, oh my goodness, this was written by the Lord. The, these words are so powerful. So I'm just going to tell you up front, 
buckle your spiritual seatbelts because these words are powerful. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of the Gospel of John, of chapter 15. Now, I will tell you up front also, it's a part of a broader section, verses 1 through 17, in which Jesus calls us both uh, vines, branches, and friends. And so we're going to see, uh, really, in a bigger context, he shows two different pictures of the believer. But we see the first this morning in the first 11 verses of John chapter 15. So what does Jesus begin by saying? He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. And I think King James and many other versions use the phrase, abide with me. Abide with me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit in and of itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains or abides in me and I in him produces how much fruit? Much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch. He withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire. They are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. That's answered prayer, isn't it? Verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've spoken these things to you, so that my joy may be in you and your joy might be complete. Jesus talks here about the vineyard. Now, if you ever travel to Israel with me or anyone else, you will see a number of vineyards. They knew and know much about the cultivation of vineyards. So it was an agricultural analogy with which they were quite familiar. And he uses this as a really as a teaching tool, and many scholars will say it's an allegory of, obviously it's referring to the vineyard, but it's referring also to something else. So let's look at the four elements in this great allegory, this agricultural analogy. First, he talks about the vine. Well, he identifies himself quickly and even later as the vine, but not only the vine, but the true vine. He indicates he is the true vine. So he is not some kind of one among many. He is the true vine. So he indicates an exclusive nature. Now, remember what we studied prior as we went back into other places of the Gospel of John, Jesus made no bones about the fact 
that he was the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way. There is no other way to salvation other than through Christ. And he says here, I am the true vine. As Christians, we don't live with substitutes. We live with the real thing. We have a living relationship with Christ. And look at those three things that are underlined on, uh, if you would, I think they're in your bulletin. We, we have a living union, we have a loving union, and we have a lasting union. Now, if you don't remember anything else from today, go home and repeat to yourself, our union with Christ is loving, it is indeed, uh, excuse me, living, it is loving, and it is lasting. It is a living union. Why? Because we're part of a vine that is alive. Jesus is the true vine, and it is loving. He speaks of his love for us even in this text over and over. He did in chapter 14, innumerable, innumerable times. And as we've seen also in other places, it is a lasting union. Once you are truly a part of the engrafting of the vine, you are there forever. Well, it is a living, loving, and lasting union, isn't it? So we thank God that we today worship the true vine, the Lord Jesus himself. Second, we see the element of the branches. Well, a branch is in and of itself, according to Scripture, useless. When the branch is cut off, it can do nothing. And we had some people up at a work day here yesterday working out on some bushes out to the side and, and pruning and cutting and pulling out dead branches. Well, my friends, that's what we must realize about our own union with Christ. That without a connection to Him, we are useless. That unless we're connected into Him and abiding in Him, it, is, it makes us useless. We cannot produce fruit. And so a vine cannot produce, a branch cannot produce its own life. And the sooner we as believers, as disciples, begin to discover that, know our own weakness and confess our need, the better off we will be. We need His strength. We need constant connection to Him. And any time in your life you get weak, friends. Uh, Dale and I got in the car this morning. She just laughs at my choice of music. She does. She laughed this morning because for some reason it was on a bluegrass channel. Well, I, I am eclectic in my musical taste extremely eclectic in my musical taste. I have symphony radio on there. I have contemporary Christian on there. I have contemporary country on there. I have some soft rock. Don't listen to that. I know I'm not right with the Lord. But I also like bluegrass, certain kinds of it. Well, today it was old timey. And it was a song about drifting. And don't drift from the Lord. Well, you know, good word. Because when we begin to drift, we begin realizing His strength is the only strength that really matters. And when we try to live in our own strength and of our own effort, we always fail, don't we? I have, you have. Well, you need to abide in Him. Now, I want to tell you, I want to park there just for a moment. Oh, some versions say remain, some say abide. I like abide even better. It's used 11 times in these 11 verses. That is significant to me. 
It's talking about the fact that we need to keep in fellowship and stay connected to him so that his life, his power can work in and through us. Now, when you're abiding in Christ, you produce what? You produce fruit. You produce fruit. And also experience the pruning from the Lord. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, this passage is so powerful because it tells us, how do you know if you're a Christian? How many times over my long ministry have people said to me, Pastor, I just don't know if I'm a Christian. Well, this passage gives us a number of clues as to whether or not you are a true Christian. And many people will say, well, I was baptized. Well, is it good to be baptized? Yes, it is. We just did it. It's a command from God. Well, I'm a member of a church. Is it good to be a member of a church? Well, I think so, because you're saying I'm committed to a local fellowship. It's good, but neither of those will save you. What are the true evidences? Now, some people say, well, you've got to have a special feeling. Now, I think feelings are good on occasion, and I think it's good to feel uh, deep warmth. In fact, John Wesley, the great Methodist, when he came to Christ, during a Bible study from a Moravian group, John Wesley described his experience like this. He said, I felt inside strangely warmed. That's good, isn't it? But the Bible says there are some ways that one knows. First of all, we've already seen you produce fruit, right? You produce fruit. We'll come back to that. You also experience the Father's pruning. We recognize that in verse 2. We'll come back to that. Number three, the believer has his prayers answered. God hears you. It says that there in verse 9. Uh, excuse me. It says it there um, in verse 7. And we also see that you experience a deepening love for Christ and other believers. Verse 9. And in verse uh, 11, we also see that the true believer experiences joy. So has there been a change in your life? Do you experience fruit? Do you produce fruit? Have you experienced the pruning from the Lord? We'll come back to that. Do you have an abiding relationship with Him? Oh, my friends, it is something that does not come automatically. It is something that must be cultivated. Abiding in Christ demands worship and sacrifice. It demands a deepening walk in the Lord. It involves worship, meditation, and prayer, sacrifice, and service. But it's a beautiful place to be. Third element's the vine dresser. Look quickly at the vine dresser. The Bible identifies this as the work of the Father, God the Father. And it is He who works in the vineyard. And what is He doing? He is pruning. He is purging. He is taking out the old dead vines. And He's cutting out even the deadness from the living branches so that they will do what? So they will produce even more fruit. Now, can you imagine in a vineyard if the branch could talk? The branch says to the vine dresser, please cut me a little more. That felt so good. <laughs> no, 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 no. If the branch could talk, the branch would say, please leave me alone. It's much easier this way just to be left as I am. Please leave me alone. I like me the way I am. And God says, well, I don't. And my opinion is the only one that counts. Sometimes he has to purge. 
Sometimes he has to prune so that we will do what? Produce more fruit. Sometimes he uses the word to convict us, cleanse us. Sometimes he uses the word to chasten us. And he does that, doesn't he? And all God's people said, ouch, right? The greatest mark that the Father loves you is when he's speaking to you and telling you to get right. If he left you alone, I promise you, you're not a believer. But if he is working in your heart, in your mind, in your conscience, to say this has got to change, then he loves you. He loves you. Isn't that beautiful? He uses many ways, but he does that work. Last is the fruit. A true branch that's grafted in and united in the vine will always bear fruit. In other words, where there's fruit, there's life. I've had a number of people say, well, do you think so-and-so is a Christian? You know, and they've asked me that about presidents. They've asked me that about a lot of people. Always makes me very uncomfortable. Always. And you know what I say? I don't know. Why? Because I, definitely me, I'm not in a position to judge anybody's soul. I cannot. Because there are things happen between a man and a woman in the Lord that I will never be privy to and don't want to be. I cannot judge another person's soul and will not even attempt to do so. But I can tell you that there are persons where the fruit is very obvious. I've seen them change. I've seen them grow. I've seen them bring forth fruit to the table of the Lord. And I can say, hey, if you're going to make me a fruit inspector, I see fruit. But I will never judge a man or a woman's soul. Oh, my friends, this, verse, this word also tells us that when there is no fruit, there's something wrong. And what does the Bible say? He'll cut it off and burn it up. We are surrounded by cultural Christianity where thousands upon thousands of people in Greenville County claim the name of Christ but never show the slightest inclination for anything of God. Well, let me just tell you, I don't even want to be close to those persons on Judgment Day. I don't even want to be close. I do not want to be near them. Because I will hear the Lord say, depart from me. I never knew you. Snip and burn. That's a frightening thing. It's a horrific thing. But if there is life, there is fruit. I know some of you right now say, oh no, I'm in trouble. Are you? Maybe you need to be. But you know the Lord has been working in your life it's a sign of life and he is doing what he does so powerfully and so beautifully our abiding in Christ certainly ought to produce love and joy answer prayer and peace in our lives 
We are to keep His commandments. We have the privilege of abiding in Him, remaining in Him, and the responsibility of bearing fruit. Now look at me. Are you abiding in Christ? Is He your Lord and Savior? You heard these persons in the baptistry confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, that they love Him. Do you? Do you? Is your life one that's growing and being pruned and exploding in fruit? Or is it one that is just hesitant and holding back? It's time to abide in Christ. Lord, I want to abide in Christ. I want to be so close to Him that His heartbeat and my heartbeat are one and the same. Isn't that what you want? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that we would all experience your touch today, that we might be your men and your women. Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, draw those who are not saved unto you powerfully, and those that are saved, God, may it be a time of recommitment and rededication, even this morning. Father, we thank you for speaking to us, listening to us, and we pray that you would take our hearts right now because we have a friend in you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.